time in my life that I am absolutely positive that I encountered what we would describe as a demonic presence or spirit. It was my junior year of high school, and I had been a Christian for less than a year. I was invited to a party at a friend's house, and when I arrived there, there were a lot of people there, a lot of people that I didn't really know. But as I wandered into the house and as I wandered around the property, as there were, the party was kind of spread out, it was very clearly something wrong. I had a feeling of terror that I had not felt before. Now, as far as I know, there was nobody there doing drugs. Nobody there was drinking. Nobody was playing with a Ouija board. And nobody was slaughtering a goat to Satan. But something was wrong. So I remember going out into their front yard, finding a place where I could be hidden and private, and I prayed. Now, I've been a Christian again less than a year. I've got no theological training. I don't know Job from John. But I went out there and I prayed for God's protection. I prayed that whatever spirit was in the place would go away. And after that prayer, a very calming peace came over me. I went and spoke to a few of my friends, and I went home. Now, I will say, since that day, I've realized several times after the fact that I was exposed or in the presence of the demonic. I didn't have the same feeling that I did at that party, but I pieced together later and realized what had happened. Now, I do know men who've been a part of exorcisms and have encountered genuine demonic possession. Now, if I have your attention, there's one rule when it comes to talking about this particular subject, and that is this. When it comes to demonic spirits and demonic presence, you should always be informed, but never interested. Now, in our text this morning, Jesus affirms several things. First of all, that the Bible teaches that there are diseases, there are disasters, and there are decisions that people make that it can be influenced by the demonic. But the Bible also affirms that not every disease, every disaster, and every bad decision is caused by the demonic. In fact, demonic influences seem to be rare and condensed to specific spiritual times and places. But the reason I'm focused on demonic activity here this morning is that if we do not believe in demonic activity... What Jesus is going to say here doesn't make any sense. The response of the crowd, the response of the Pharisees, the warning we see Jesus give here doesn't make any sense. If there is no Satan, if there are no such things as demonic or supernatural activity, then this section of your Bible is meaningless. Because Jesus makes it very clear there is a battle for the soul of humanity. And there are two kingdoms involved, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy. And the question we come to then is, which kingdom am I serving? Because the reality is that there are things that pull us away. Some stress at work, some problem at home. And in all of our energies, all of our focus goes into building whatever kingdom is being injured at that time. And if something were to go on long enough, we can find ourselves, as the song says, prone to wander. 
So what I want to give you this morning is why we should be serving the kingdom of God. It's probably something you've heard all uh, many times if you've been in church, but I want to remind you of these things. Number one of why we should be serving the kingdom of God, and that is this, Jesus does what no one else can do. Jesus does what no one else can do. Now remember, Matthew's purpose in his gospel is to stack evidence upon evidence that Jesus of Nazareth is God's provided Messiah and the absolute ruler of men. And here we see a display of power. Now Matthew's told us that Jesus has been healing all sorts of people from all sorts of things, and everyone who showed up to be healed was. But we get a specific detail. It's perhaps this detail as to why Matthew records this particular healing for us. And that little detail that we don't find in any other place in Matthew's gospel is the response of the crowd. Now we don't know if this is the same crowd that was at the synagogue, the same crowd that saw him uh, heal the man with the withered hand. But what we do see is we see a, a group of people, we see a man who is possessed by a demon. He can neither see and nor can he speak. That's the manifestation of this demonic activity. And Jesus casts out the demon and immediately the man can see and speak. And Matthew describes the crowd's response as what? The people were amazed. Literally, the word there that is used is the idea of being so astonished that you doubt your senses. Literally, the idea of struggling with what they just saw. They're doubting. They're wondering, is it possible to see what I just saw? But yet at the same time admitting, I did see what I just saw. And that moment shakes them to a point. Notice what happens. They start asking the question, maybe this is the Son of God or the Son of David. But there's another reason Matthew chooses to highlight the healing. Because it's a perfect illustration of spiritual condition. What I want you to note is that through the rest of the passage, and I'll talk about this next week, but through the rest of this chapter, there are three themes. The theme of seeing, the theme of speaking, and the theme of spiritual condition. And this blind man possessed by this demon illustrates all of those things. And so what Matthew wants us to notice is that Jesus not only has the power to heal this man of his physical problems, he's able to heal us of much bigger problems like spiritual blindness, spiritual muteness, and being children of the enemy. And so just like the people here are astonished at what they saw, we should be astonished that Jesus can do this for people like us. And he can do it for anyone, and he can do it, as we saw just a few weeks ago, to the uttermost. Now, there's a word that many of you have probably heard, and that word is the word pluralism. Now, that what that word means, the word means is the idea that all belief systems are valid, and if there is a God, pluralism believes that uh, all belief systems lead to him. Uh, more, maybe some of you have heard the illustration of the blind man and the elephant. The illustration goes like this. This is a group of blind men touch an elephant. You each describe the elephant differently. One touches the elephant's side and says, this is a wall. 
Another blind man touches the trunk and says, it's a rope. Another one touches his ear and says, no, this is a fan. And so the illustration is supposed to be that all religions are like blind men touching God, describing him in their own way. But there's two problems with that illustration. First of all, we know it's not a wall, a rope, or a fan. We know it's a what? It's an elephant. But there's a second problem. What if the elephant blows its trumpet? What if the elephant speaks? Wouldn't it be madness for the blind men to still insist that it's an elephant? Or a wall? Or a fan? Or a rope? And that's what's happening here. Jesus, when he casts out this demon, he's blowing the trumpet. He's showing them who he is. In fact, over and over in the Gospels, we see Jesus do things that nobody else can do. We get eyewitness testimony of Jesus doing things that no other religious leader ever claims to be able to do. Now, some of us have been in church so long that we have heard these stories since we were in the church nursery. And some of the immensity of this is lost on us. So let me try to help you. How many times have you read something or heard something or seen something on TV where somebody made a radical claim and your thought is immediately skeptical? No way. Not going to happen. There's shenanigans here. Or perhaps you've ever watched a magician and your mind immediately goes and says, you know what, I bet you I could figure out how he does that. Most of us have heard this story about Jesus casting out the demon. So ask yourself the question, do I really believe that demons exist? And if I do, what would it mean for someone to come along and have complete power over them? You'd be doubting your senses too. Watching Jesus do what nobody else can do and show us why we should be serving his kingdom. That brings us to number two, the second reason why we should be serving the kingdom of God, and that is this, that Jesus is able to bind up the enemy. Jesus is able to bind up the enemy. So Matthew records for us here that the Pharisees hear the people beginning to wonder if Jesus is God's Messiah. And so in response, they start kind of, it's kind of the idea of the little whisper train. They start They don't talk to Jesus directly. They start telling the people, no, 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 no. He can only cast out demons because he's an ally of the devil. Now, Jesus knows what's going on, and so he responds with three different responses. The first response is one of logic, verses 25 and 26. He says, wait a minute, your accusation doesn't make sense. If I'm releasing people from Satan's power by Satan's power, then the enemy's destroying his own kingdom. I mean, the most vulnerable a nation can be when it's in the midst of a civil war. And so for you to make this accusation doesn't make logical sense. But then secondly, he points out their hypocrisy. Then if I do it by the power of Satan, then what power do your sons do it? The idea there that Jesus is saying, these are men uh, who like being famous. They like being noticed. They like, as Jesus will say later, they like people... Uh, stopping them in the streets and saying, Rabbi, Rabbi, your message last week was so great. Rabbi, Rabbi, I have this problem. Will you tell me? Rabbi, Rabbi, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. These guys like being famous. 
And one of the ways they would be famous is by having famous students. And so maybe one of their students goes out and they cast out a demon. Jesus is saying, look, you're willing to take credit. You're willing to be famous off of the work of a student casting out a demon. But what does it mean if, if, if their power is by the devil too? He says, but if I'm casting out by the Spirit of God, doesn't that mean the kingdom has come? But then he makes a third point. In order for God's Messiah to save people, doesn't he have to first bind up the enemy? It's an interesting picture that Jesus uses of a man robbing another man. But the idea there is that a man has made himself wealthy by raiding another man's property. The enemy has taken God's property, the souls of men and women. The Bible is very clear throughout history, no human being has ever been able to stop evil. All people are enchanted at some time or another by the enemy's temptations. All people are at one time or another are victims of the enemy's followers. But here's Jesus. He walks into the strong man's home. He walks among us in the dirt and he binds them up and he starts making everything right. He starts stealing God's property back. And he's not just rescuing people here and there. He's, he's raiding the enemy's property and there's nothing the enemy can do. Now I want you to think of this idea of binding up as something that is hopeful. Let me explain it this way. About a week or so ago, I got a letter from my insurance company, my health insurance company, that said they're not going to pay for my hospital stay. Now, the reason was, they, they say, well, the condition, as we understand it, did not require you to stay in the hospital. And they gave me a form to fill out to protest the decision. Well, this past Monday, I went to see my regular doctor, who also received that letter. Now, she offered to help to fight the decision and said, you know what, this will be easily overturned once I explain the medical necessity of your hospital stay. What she was offering to me was to bind up the enemy and was fairly confident that she could do so. But see, Jesus being able to bind up the enemy is fundamental to Christian hope. Don't you need to have that kind of hope as a parent? About a year or so ago, nobody, anybody here knows, I had a mom call me, and she was frantic. Her son had just been caught in school having marijuana. And now she calls me freaking out because she's sure that her son is eventually going to end up in jail. He's going to end up being this terrible person. And his life is ruined. But in moments like that, as Christian parents, don't we have to say to ourselves, Jesus has the ability to bind up the enemy? Whatever negative thing is going on with our children is not a prediction of their future. Then the big reason for that fact is because Jesus can bind up the enemy. Haven't we seen that in this church? If we're honest, can't we say there were some people that we kind of thought were maybe a little bit outside the Lord's reach? And then they showed up here and were baptized. Doesn't every church planter have to believe this? What about the Smedleys and the Ellises who actually encounter demonic activity? Isn't this something we have to believe when we see the news headlines flash across the screens of our devices? Don't I have to believe it when somebody comes and asks me for counseling or for help to try and beat some stubborn, sinful habit? You see, Jesus Christ has the ability to bind up the strong man of this world and take whatever he pleases. We have that hope. 
And it gives us a reason why we should be serving the kingdom of God. And that brings us to number three. The third reason why we should be serving the kingdom of God, why we need to make sure we're not being distracted by things that pull at us, is this. And probably the most important point, number three, Jesus warns everyone they must choose a side. Jesus warns everyone that they must choose a side. Now, here in verse 30, 30, we come to a passage I think many of us have heard about, but few of us actually know about. Jesus says here, very clearly and specifically, that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a sin and that it is not forgivable. Now, when we think of blasphemy, we think of the idea of taking certain actions or using certain words or phrases. And I have met Christians who admit being afraid that perhaps they've committed this sin and will never be forgiven. But I want you to note a couple of things about this. First of all, the idea of blasphemy is to speak out against. Think of it as the pride of thinking that you know better, or the pride of having no respect for an authority, or the pride of mocking or misrepresenting someone. And I can say, and I know you can say, over the years we know there have been comics and musicians and world leaders who have blasphemed. But the context here is that of the kingdom. Note the contrast that Jesus gives. He says, well, those who are not with me are against me. Those who do not gather, they scatter. You see, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not necessarily a specific word or phrase. It's to be actively against what the Spirit is doing. And we know that's exactly what the Pharisees are doing in this text. Go back to the beginning of the text. What are the people beginning to wonder Is this the son of David? And what are the Pharisees trying to do? No, it's not him. They're trying to shut down the work of the Spirit. Now, the reason you can't be forgiven this is because you need the Spirit in order to be saved. If you reject the Spirit, you're left without a path to forgiveness. Now, the Bible does say that there are going to be some who are so hard-hearted they will never turn and be saved. The book of Proverbs calls these mockers. But the point Jesus is making here is that there are two sides. That Satan is, is at war, not at war with himself, he's at war with God. Now, just to be clear, God is not at war with Satan. What God is doing is revealing that his glory and power and majesty are something that cannot be overcome. But Jesus is saying everyone is on a side. The book of Ephesians tells us we're born onto the enemy's side, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be brought to God's side by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the bigger point here that Jesus is making is that there is no neutral ground. Everyone has to choose a side. So let's start the application with this. If you're afraid that you have committed the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Spirit, I would say that if you're afraid of having done that, that's a good sign that you haven't. Nobody who commits that sin is worried about committing that sin. But, if there's anybody here this morning, if there's any part of you wondering if you are saved, don't push that away. 
Walk through it with me. In order to be saved, you have to believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to pay for your sins and by his resurrection make you eternally right with God. And Jesus says anybody who believes or nobody who believes will be turned away. So if you believe this morning, you are saved. And the Holy Spirit has done a work in your life so that you could believe unto salvation. So if you're a Christian who's believed, you cannot and have not committed the sin that Jesus is talking about here. So instead of focusing on what is the unforgivable sin or what is not or whether or not we've committed it, I want you to see something else in this text. Jesus is openly saying that what he's doing is the work of God. And he's drawing a line between him and them. Anybody is welcome to see God's work and believe God's work. In fact, the gospel is kind of hinted several times. The Pharisees knew this was God's work, yet rejected it. And so Jesus is saying, you're on the enemy's side. You do not gather, you scatter. The work that you do keeps people stuck in their blind, muted, miserable spiritual state. The work you do makes enemies for the kingdom. You see, Jesus is not a pluralist. He does not suggest that their religious ideas or their religious systems are just as good as his offer to forgive sins. The point of the warning here is to make it very clear there are two kingdoms and one choice. You either stay where you are and play on the devil's playground and pretend that your little self-righteous works are going to make God happy or... You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. So let's review. Demons are real. Or this passage makes no sense. Jesus can do what he says he can do or this passage makes no sense. But worst of all is if what Jesus says here is not true, then what Paul says in 1 Corinthians is that we are a people without hope. But the point of the passage isn't to tell us about demons. The point of the passage is not to make us wonder whether or not we've committed the unforgivable sin. It's to tell us about a blind, mute, and spiritually broken man who is put together by the mighty king of the universe. And to tell us that Jesus Christ, the mighty king of the universe, can do the same for us. And his offer is to anyone, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And you can be because he can do what no one else can do. But be warned, there will come a time and a place where there will be no more days of grace. And those who are not with Jesus will be counted as being against him. So let us take stock of ourselves. For all that is going on in our lives right now, whether it's work or health or family or relationships, let them not pull us away from the main thing that our calling is to serve the kingdom of God. Because there are only two choices, or only two kingdoms and only one choice. We either serve, we either stay in the kingdom of the enemy or we go and we serve and live in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this reminder. And I just pray, Father, for 
Anybody here who might be in the spiritual condition that is hinted at here, for those who may be blind to their spiritual needs, who may not be able to speak to their spiritual needs, who are in spiritual misery, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would work in them and they would not refuse it and they would be saved. And I just pray, Father, and thank you for this church. And I pray, Father, we would not become distracted by the events of this world and the events of this life. Remind ourselves that we live and serve in the kingdom of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.